Good morning. This morning we're reading from Genesis, and it's chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out in the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Hear the word of the Lord. May the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our salvation. Amen. One of the traditions of the church is that we read the scriptures and we read them week in and week out. And we say of the scriptures that they have an authority in our life. So as Christians... We read the scriptures so that we might understand what is in them and seek to understand how we should live in the light of them. Now, we don't come to the scriptures as a black and white rule book with everything so tightly wound together. We encounter the scriptures as theological reflections, as poetry, as wisdom, as letters, as gospel all of those things shape how we come to it because it's not one book, it's not even two books. It's a multitude of books 
which we encounter on its own terms and pray that as we read the scriptures, we will be changed by them. For we are seeking the Holy Spirit to work in us and to graft into our hearts that which we need to hear, that which is true, to banish from our hearts those things which are false so that we might live as disciples in this time, in this day. And in one way, we are a canvas or a blank page which God is writing on. We are an expression of God's life now. We're the living scripture as we encounter the written scripture. We are the people who bear God's story now. So this morning, we're going to a part of the Bible which is about 3,000, perhaps 3,500 years old. We can't really date it. We have an idea of when these particular texts were finally woven together in their particular form and when they were authorised. But we know that the stories had been told for generations by word of mouth, capturing the deep sense of what God was calling his people to. So we're touching something very significant whenever we come to the scripture, and particularly as we come to this morning's scriptures. So we come to Genesis chapter 4. And there are some really important lessons in this small extract for our life today. Now, I'm not going to spend time trying to work out the family story and how children came along and all of those pieces that are in this particular Bible passage, because I think it's to try and work it too hard when we do that. I think we're trying to answer questions that those who wrote it weren't trying to answer. They weren't trying to do modern science. They weren't trying to do modern family construction or any of those things. They wanted us to understand who God was and who God is and how we respond to God. And we hear it then and think about it now. But what we know is that Eve gave birth to Cain and later she gave birth to Abel. And we know that she gave birth to other sons later on in chapter 4. Now, these were people who lived in a very agricultural world. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And what they did, which was in keeping with the religious and spiritual practices of their time, was that they brought an offering to the Lord. We find in other parts of the first five books of the Old, of the Old Testament, the Torah, the sense of that bringing the first fruits, an offering to God, and there were rules and regulations and practices and ways of doing that. But it was something deep. From what we have received from the Lord, we offer to the Lord. Our contemporary practice is giving money in church either electronically or in the envelopes that go in the back, or a quick 50 bucks to Michael. No, hang on, we don't do that one, do we, Mike? And we do it in reflecting also on the responsibilities of caring for buildings like this. We go, how do we use our money? That's our way of doing offering. What we've received from the Lord, we offer to the Lord. But something goes wrong in the story here. Because 
The Lord looked with favour on Abel's offering, but didn't look with favour on Cain's offering. Now, you may have read some magazines or books or essays at some point trying to tell you why God looked on one in one way and one on one in the other way. No matter how hard you work it, and there's been lots of ink spent on it, there is no answer. The Jewish scholars suggest to us that, in fact, what we're meant to do with this text is understand that sometimes things happen which we cannot explain, that we don't understand, we cannot make sense of, and that is actually part of what it is to be human, that we are faced with conundrums. How we respond to the conundrums of life, the challenges of life, the difficulties of life, says something about us and our faithfulness. But we won't be able to explain everything. I think there's a really important message in that for us today. Like things go terribly wrong in the world at times. And we can understand, say, the movement of tectonic plates that result in earthquakes but we then stand back on the earthquake in Turkey and Syria and are just devastated by the experience of it and wonder and wonder deeply, why does it happen? We cannot join all the dots and explain all of those things. Or it can be the more personal circumstances where we hear of just something terrible happening to someone we love and it makes no sense for us. We will not ever be able to explain everything that goes on. Sometimes we have to hold it in the deep tension of life and go, it is what it is, and find a way of coming to terms with it. But our heart breaks when these things happen. And what we're given this morning is a sense of Cain's heart breaking. He thought he had everything right and he offered his gift to the Lord but knew it wasn't accepted. And he gets very angry, and his physical disposition showed it. The text says he was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, we can't quite work out exactly um, how the Lord spoke to Cain. That doesn't say it there. Was it actually that visible, very clear voice in your head? Was it in his prayers? Was it in his reflections? Whatever it was... God speaks to Cain and goes, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? And receives some answer from the Lord, which says, it may have something to do with who you are. Again, I think it's really important for us to recognise that God is seeking to speak with us about us. As we read the scriptures, we can be challenged. As we gather in church community, we can be faced with who we are. In our prayer and reflection, we might go, ah, this is who I am. God is seeking always to help us become his beloved, to become what he has called us to be, to be who we are meant to be, to offer our gifts in the service of other people and the world and he wants us to be our very, very best and is always trying to fashion us. And we hear that 
especially in the New Testament letters of Paul, who speaks about the Spirit working on us, giving us gifts and bringing forth fruit. Cain wasn't able to hear it. He wasn't able to understand it. Some of Cain's frustration may well have been that he expected things. I'm the firstborn. I'm supposed to get this. Why are you getting that? We get very used to hierarchy and positions of influence. We can be seduced by status in all sorts of places. And one of the consistent messages of the scripture is God's not going to be bound by our human power, power and authority patterns. God is not interested in structuring the world according to that. In the Old Testament, we see a number of times God go, no, no, not you, but you. Just think of the story of King, the choosing of King David. Goes through all the other brothers and goes, ah, here you are. And here the second son is chosen. And we see that again and again. And it's a reminder again that when we come to the New Testament and we encounter Jesus, God doesn't act by power and might. God acts through service and love. He surprises us in Jesus by dying so that we might be free. What seems like defeat becomes victory. Don't know about you. Is there sometimes part of you that goes, but look at me, I'm important. Listen to me, I've got something to say. Remember, the call to humility is a deep call of living God's life. But it gets worse. So Cain takes his brother Abel out into the field and he kills him. He kills him. It's shocking. We almost skip over it. It's two couple of verses. You know, we're not talking about a huge family. We're not talking about a family at war. We're talking about family dysfunction on steroids. My brother's got something I don't like. I'm going to take him out. It's shocking. It's shocking. So the Lord says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he goes, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord just asks the question, what have you done? But let's get back to that. Am I my brother's keeper? The heart of the scripture is the answer is yes. I am my brother's keeper. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Our brother or sister is not simply uh, those who are, born, are drawn to us, are bound to us by blood, but the whole of humanity. We are to view our neighbour through the lens of love, offering them dignity, offering them respect, offering them hope, offering them purpose. I sometimes speak about this, especially with young people, and remind young people that we're to love others as we love ourselves, and it is appropriate and worthwhile to do some work on loving ourselves. 
because so many people look in the mirror, whether it be the real mirror or the spiritual mirror, and go, yuck, I don't like who I am. They do all this stuff to try and change who they are, but don't get to the heart of it. God actually looks on us as beloved. He knows us through and through. He loves us and wants us to love ourselves. And with that love that we know from him in us, he wants us to love others. Yes, I am my brother's keeper. We are responsible for each other. We are to cherish each other. We are to look for the good in each other. There's a year's worth of reflections in that alone. So the Lord says to him, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. We don't think of the ground in the same way as they did in the Old Testament because we've got used to moving around. In my lifetime, I've lived in England, I've lived in New South Wales, I've lived in Tasmania, I've lived in Victoria, I've lived in South Australia, and now I'm back and living in New South Wales. My life story is about moving and um, not having any one particular place. I've lived the longest in my life in Newcastle. And it's not uncommon. So from time to time, we have people from the um, Air Force come along and what's three years and then they're off somewhere else, never get to put down their, 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 their feet. But the First Nations people help us understand something about being connected to country, knowing it speak and sing to them and they want us to hear its voice to us. I came out to Australia from England when I was eight years old and I went back when I was 25 and I remember walking through a forest or, or some woods and doing a walk and suddenly going, oh, I like this. This is what um, bush walking is meant to feel like because I didn't feel it at, at home, but I felt it there. I had a sense of connection there, which was deep in the, what I'd been brought up with in my story, but it felt more like home. I had another experience of flying back into Australia and seeing gum trees as you, as you fly in, in near Sydney Airport and things like that. And you go, that also, Melbourne Airport, that, that also feels like home. We can have a sense of connectedness to place. Well, for these agricultural people in the Old Testament, for our First Nations people who love the land, they're saying to us that there is more story there than we sometimes recognise. And just stopping and listening and hearing can be life-changing. And here, the blood cries out. The last part of the passage this morning is a reminder that God is not without passion and concern. God cannot walk past what Cain has done. God is not indifferent when people cause suffering to other people. And so Cain lives with punishment. And it's a deep punishment because he is separated from the land. He thought that that's where he, uh, there and there alone, he could encounter God. It would take a while for people to realise that God was universal, God was sovereign. He thought that it was there. This was where he would meet and encounter the living God and he was going to be banished, a punishment of separation. 
There is accountability for our actions. We are called as human beings to be responsible for the things we do. To accept that we do wrong or make mistakes and not to cover it up or gloss it over, to be open to it. Much of the New Testament is filled with the reminder about what it is to live in a holy way, in an honourable way, in a way that honours God. But when we don't, there is a separation from God. To take responsibility for our wrongdoing is essential. We own and name our sinfulness, but we don't do this so that we can continue to beat ourselves up. We do it because when we deeply recognise our failures and our omissions, we can hear more fully that we are forgiven and liberated to try and begin again. For God wants us to begin again. He wants us to be people of new life, forgiven life, liberated life. Being, having integrity about who we are, our successes and failures, our joys and our despairs, is really important to live well and to live as a disciple. We're in a world that glosses over some of that stuff. We don't actually always hold people to appropriate accountability. We need to say to someone, don't use that language. Don't treat that person that way. Don't dishonour this place. But sometimes we walk past. So important that we encourage one another to live well and to live in the love that God has called us to do. So the story of Cain and Abel, an angry older brother who kills his younger brother, the encounter with God that fills someone with shame and despair, and our recognition, our recognition as Christian people that in all of this, as inheritors of that story, we have another story as well that says to us, you can be forgiven, you can be set free, you can start again. Amen.